Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Well, hello, CCF. This is Marty Solomon coming at you from the east side of Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm assuming most of you hearing my voice probably know me, familiar with who I am. I've been a friend in a lot of ways to CCF uh, for some years now, usually visiting about once a semester and getting a chance to speak at retreats or join you on a Sunday or a Wednesday evening and and you've likely just seen me around. I am the president of Impact Campus Ministries. Uh, I am uh, the creator and executive producer of the Bema podcast. And just uh, hopefully a good friend of all the staff there at CCF. It's been a ministry that's meant a lot to me. So likely you know who I am. If you don't, there's a brief introduction. And I'm sure uh, Reed especially will... Um, take great joy in telling you so much more about me. But today, uh, as I thought about um, joining you in this discussion about you know dispatches from the Exodus, uh, I, I thought of stories. I thought of stories, and and, and I mean you can think about stories in so many ways relevant to this to this discussion. I, I thought about stories, particularly that my wife and I share. We have some. Just incredible stories. Um, uh, we got married and spent the first, man, just over a year of our marriage in a 39-foot camper trailer RV uh, that had been kind of set up. It, was, it had been sitting in the same place for the last 17 years. Uh, they had put skirting around it to insulate the plumbing, and uh, it, was in, it was technically married housing. Uh, for the Bible college that we uh, were attending there, that I was attending at that point. And uh, the the married couples, there was, I believe, three or four of us that lived on campus, and we lived kind of in this dirt lot um, back behind the cafeteria building. And whatever you're picturing, and you're like, man, that sounds really, uh, that sounds really like kind of redneck. Yeah, just amp it up about twice more than whatever you're actually thinking, and that was... Man, what a what a crazy time! Um, with some just awesome, we always smile. Uh, I don't know if we smiled as much when we lived in that story, but golly, do we smile when we think about those stories? Um, I can think about stories about owning our first home uh, and just being so naive, so young. Uh, we had it so good, and we didn't even realize it, and we were just learning all kinds of things about home ownership and. And uh, adulting and just so many things. Uh, so great stories. I can remember uh, I can remember the stories of um, maybe a, with with a little bit less levity. I can remember stories about wanting to have children and struggling to do that and, uh, and, and and then and then and then the story of my daughter being born and spending the first week, in the NICU, I can remember particularly my wife and I's stories of how difficult that was, your first child. And really, it wasn't like that big of a deal, but boy, did it seem like the world was ending during that time. I can remember those stories. I can remember stories uh, routinely throughout our marriage. We've been married for over 17 years, going to be coming up on 18 years um, uh, 
together. I can remember I can remember all kinds of stories, times in our marriage where, um, I, I don't know, we've probably both called each other out of complacency, but it sure seems like my wife has called me out of marital complacency uh, more than I have ever had to for her. She has often reminded me of what it was like to be to be dating or the way I would invest relationally um, in our marriage at different seasons. And she'll be the one to remind me uh, about date nights and how how many we're having, or maybe the more appropriate thing would be how few we're having, the need to invest in those. Um, there's been times where marriage has, I don't know if it's fallen by the wayside, but it, it's the temptation is to let it kind of, and yet there have been stories letters she has written, um, anniversary dinners that we've had, uh, some of them bigger than others, but stories nonetheless. Uh, I can think of, um, man, I can think of some challenges that we've been through that I, I won't be sharing on this recording, but uh, that have really taken our marriage and just strained it to the very end, um, uh, found the margins, found the limits and uh, and yet we have survived incredible stories. I can remember stories of struggle. Um, I can remember stories of victory. I can remember uh, selling our second house. It was the second house we owned. I've owned two houses prior to the one I'm living in now. Um, tried to sell both of those houses during two different recessions. Um, that went very poorly. I can remember the second one. Um, I had just been hired by Impact Campus Ministries. I moved eight hours away to go start ministry on campus. It was time to get to work. Our house had still not sold. And for the next uh, year, for a whole year, um, my wife and my two young children, uh, my son who was about one years old, just under one years old, my daughter who was three going on four, um, they we lived apart for a year. I can remember... Uh, my wife and kids, as we waited for this home to sell, she went to live with her parents, with the children. Uh, and then I was living uh, in a, a, a one of our doctorate students in the ministry allowed me to take one of the one of the open rooms in his apartment. Um, what a what a what a what a trying season for us, and yet it was a story. Uh, I can't imagine the stories that we're living in right now um, that we, I, I can't tell. I can't, I, I cannot tell the stories yet because the stories aren't over yet. I don't know. I don't know how the stories in this pandemic and the things we've been going through, I don't know how this story ends. I don't know what comes out of this. I, I don't have the ability yet to look back on it. I can only look at it from kind of the inside. So I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I'm still in the middle of this story. I, but I trust that at some point we'll be looking back. All of us will. But but I think of just my wife and I, and I I imagine us looking back on this season and telling stories. I I share all this because uh, it seems to be one of the ways that God um, interacts with the relationship that He has with His people. Uh, he He sees it in in terms of their history, in terms of their story in terms of, and he sees it in terms of why I decided to focus on my wife. It feels kind of irrelevant to talk to a bunch of, you know, campus college students, most of whom uh, are, aren't married and 
and are probably anxious to move on maybe to some of those chapters in their life, but aren't there yet. I'm sure it can be a frustrating metaphor for eight minutes of me sharing stories about my marriage. And, and yet, and yet I do it because this is how God seems to relate to his people. He tells a story of marriage. Now, if you want a deeper dive on this, you can listen to the podcast. Uh, we have a, a bunch of episodes in session one about the tabernacle. We talk about the tabernacle. We talk about all of Mount Sinai as this gigantic wedding. That's why I'm using all these stories about my wife and I um, in, in our marital uh, experience, because God seems to set up his own story as he is the lover and he has the spouse and they get married and there's a hoopah and there's a wedding and there's a ketubah and there's all the things that you would expect to find at a Jewish wedding are present in the story of Sinai. Um, there is this passage in Exodus 19, Exodus 19, uh, verse uh, three through six, uh, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel, you yourselves had seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So, so God says, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations... You will be my treasured possession. And this unique phrase, you will be my treasured possession, is a phrase that is still uttered to this day in almost every Jewish wedding. This is what the groom says to his bride. And and the focus is less on the possession. Like The point of this expression is not the possessive, like you are now a possession of mine. It, the idea here is, is the treasured, you are this thing that I cherish, you're this thing that I hold dear, you're this thing that I protect and I keep. And above, God speaks to his people at the very beginning as they as they come out of Egypt and wander through the desert and get to Mount Sinai, God uses language that is wedding language. He says, you're my bride, I, I, I bring you, I marry you, and this is, this is the picture that he uses. The next couple of verses from there go on, verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. And then next verse, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. God says, I want to marry you. The people say, we do. And there's this great marriage at Mount Sinai. Later in the story, um, I'm going to swing over to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 2. Uh, we read, this is now later in history, as God looks back, he thinks back on stories. He thinks He thinks back to the story of he and his people. And he says this, the word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me, how as a bride, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. God, when he thinks of his people, one of the ways is that he thinks of stories. And he he thinks of those stories uh, with a twinkle in his eye, with a, with a smile on his face. He recalls them, at least in this language here at this point, this is how he thinks back to it, because the, the wilderness, that was a tough time, right? 40 years of wandering in the desert of Paran and the desert of Zin, 
the wilderness. That, that was not a time full of like victories and success and comfort and luxury. God goes, oh, do you remember that those days where we lived in a 39-foot camper trailer? Oh, I remember how you followed me through the desert like a bride. And it's just this, I just picture, I see, I almost see God's face as he recounts what it was like as he, as he remembers stories. Yeah. In the midst of all of the challenge, in the midst of all the things, I can even remember this on some level. I can remember being in Israel in 2008, um, for the first, the first tour I ever took. And the first time I ever experienced that, that exact same desert that the people of God wandered in. And our guide had us in that desert for uh, almost five days. And at the end of that fifth day, um, I remember our, my teacher, his name was Ray, and he said, uh, you know, tomorrow we leave the desert and we head into Shvela. Um, and, and there was this, and he had this kind of this poetic thinking back at all the things we've had experienced in those last five days. And I remember just like crying, I, I think the more appropriate term, weeping, um, not quite uncontrollably, but I was emotionally stirred just from five days on a study tour, let alone 40 years with God in the desert, but just five days in the desert where I went and slept in a comfy hotel room at the end. And yet God had done such incredible, amazing things, had taught me, had spoken to me in some crazy, unique, unbelievably wonderful ways. I didn't want to leave. And I remember the first day or two, I wanted to leave. <laughs> there was nothing fun about 123 degrees in the Negev desert. Um, those were not, in the, in the moment, those were not fun days. And yet even, even just two or three days later, as I thought back on those same experiences, I realized just how, how close God was in all of that. Um, I find it interesting. Uh, sometime later, uh, and the, you know, the story stories move on. You know, um, my wife and I, our, our story moved on. We went from living in a 39 foot camper trailer to a 24 square foot home to this, to this, to this, to this. The story progresses and, and you grow up and life circumstances change. And our story definitely evolved. Our story developed. Our story was different. Well, so did the story of God's people. They they went from being a rescued bunch of slaves coming out of Egypt uh, to being a bunch of wandering nomads in the desert to kind of being a group of people being assimilated into the new quote unquote promised land to being more of a kingdom that was establishing, uh, you know, a more uh, you know a a king and a presence and a political socio political reality to being a whole people with a social infrastructure like their story their story moved on too somewhere in the middle of all that uh, they end up with a king named David who who's a pretty big deal in uh, in Jewish lore uh, Jewish history this king named David and yet there's at one point David is he's grappling with this concept of how the story has progressed and God has been following them around in this tabernacle. Like that's, that's the passage in Exodus that I'm reflecting on today is this whole story of the tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle is a pretty big deal. It takes up over 50 chapters of Torah. Like when you get to that, when you get to the last third, chapter 20, 
the last half of the book of Exodus, all of a sudden you start getting instructions on how Moses is going to build a tabernacle. It gets very like meticulous, the detail. It repeats the instructions twice. Uh, then you get the whole book of Leviticus, which is really just the instruction manual on how you're supposed to use this tabernacle, um, what that tabernacle is supposed to look like. Um, and so, and then, and then Numbers and Deuteronomy has all these sections that refer to how you're supposed to, uh, to use this. Uh, you have over 50 chapters, a quarter of Torah, over a quarter of Torah just deals with the tabernacle. It is a huge, huge concept. And yet for, for centuries, they've been, uh, in the narrative, they, they have this, this tent. It's a, it's a mobile temple. Um, and I'm sure it was really something the day that they put this thing together as a bunch of rescued slaves out in the desert. I'm sure it was, it was something super impressive. And then centuries later, it just seems a little odd to David as he looks, as he looks at it. It's like a 39 foot camper trailer. It's like, why are we still dragging this thing around? Like we now have the promised land. We now have a kingdom and God's, and and so this is how it reads in first Chronicles 17, First Chronicles 17 says this, after David was settled in his palace, well, he didn't have palaces in the desert, that's for sure. And so, and so the stories, the stories of God and his people have changed. They've grown up. Life has gotten um, better in some ways, worse in others, but definitely more complex, definitely more complicated. Uh, so after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under a tent. David kind of surveys his world and says, this doesn't seem quite right. This doesn't seem right. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. But that night, the word of God came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day, I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God essentially says, David, I know that you, you might be feeling uncomfortable, but I'm not. I am fine. I love my temple. I love my I love my temple that's not a temple. I love my tabernacle. I love my tent. Cuz a tent what a tent says that I go wherever you go. Like wherever you go and whatever you do, I'm I'm going with you. And 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 God doesn't you know, he doesn't lob a critique at David for his palace. I'm sure God looks at palaces and he says, oh, "Your palace is your palace. Like, here today, gone tomorrow." Like whatever. I don't really care, but I love my tent, God says. I don't I don't need a house. What? Have I ever asked you for a house? I don't need a house. I love my tent. I love my, have you ever had that friend that has that, you know, that 1993 Honda Accord? It's got 400,000 miles on it and uh, has more than enough money to get a brand new Honda Accord if they want it. But they just love. God says, I, I just love, I love, I love the stories in this tabernacle. I love my tabernacle. I don't, I don't need a temple. Now the, the story moves on and God says, but you know, I'll, I'll meet you where you're at. I'll let you build me a temple. You don't get to build it, David, but your son, Solomon, he can he can build the temple, and so uh, God's people build the temple. But the story, you know, the story keeps moving because that's what stories do. Stories keep moving. 
and eventually all these palaces that they've built, uh, you know, they're raised by the Babylonians. All, all these uh, amazing buildings and structures that they invest in, they, they end up lying in rubble. It's the nature of, of these things. It's the nature of stories that we tell and stories that we live in and stories that we experience. Things, things change and things move on and there's stories of victory and there's stories of defeat and there are definitely stories of defeat for the people of God. Babylon comes in and, and destroys everything. And somewhere in the midst of that, uh, God, God, God's still there. <laughs> he's still hanging with his people, and he's still, he's still talking through the prophets. One of those prophets is a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And, and Ezekiel is not an easy prophecy to read. I mean, Ezekiel is like just a crazy, crazy book. Uh, in the very first chapter, you get this crazy vision. He's by the Kabar River, and he sees this vision of the presence of God. And there's all kinds of things, like there's angels and 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 creatures, living creatures with eyes all over it and wings. And, and then, but then there's like wheel. There's like a wheel, but there's a wheel within a wheel, and the wheels are covered in eyes. And if it sounds crazy, it's because it is crazy. And, and yet, part of what you kind of pick up in this vision is that whatever, whoever. The presence of whatever that presence of God is like, you get this impression it's dynamic. It's not fixed. It's not static. The vision is not of a building with pillars. The vision is of wheels and wheels within wheels of and and creatures with wings. Like the whole thing could just kind of take off and move at any moment. And which ends up becoming very important in the prophecy of Ezekiel because nine chapters later you're in Ezekiel chapter ten. And and what we end up seeing is we end up seeing uh, all of a sudden, Ezekiel gets the same image. He sees, he sees the presence of God. He sees the wheels within wheels, and eventually he says this. Uh, he says the cherubim, the cherubim rose upward. Uh, these were the living creatures I had seen by the Kabar River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels did not leave their side. And the cherubim stood still, and they also stood still. And when the cherubim rose, they rose with them, because the spirit of the living creatures was in them. And the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. And these were living creatures I had seen beneath the God of Israel by the Kabar River. And I realized that they were cherubim. Each had four faces and four wings. And under their wings were what looked like human hands. And the faces had the same appearance as those I had seen by the Kabar River. Each one went straight ahead. And so Ezekiel you know, Babylon comes in and destroys uh, Israel and Judah. And Ezekiel says, and, and in this vision, I saw God and I saw God actually leave. And, and if you pay attention to the details, God, the presence of God leaves and heads east, which is important because that's where the people of God are going. The people of God are headed off to captivity. They're headed east. And the presence of God gets up out of the temple and the presence of God heads east. You see, this God is not going to be stopped by a physical building planted on the ground. He's not going to be stopped by a temple. He's always liked his tabernacle. He's always liked the ability to be mobile. He's always he's always liked a good story. And so he goes with his people to Babylon. And then, of course, at the end of the story in, in uh, Ezekiel 43, you get all the way to the end of this crazy book of Ezekiel. Um, let me turn to Ezekiel 43 here. 
And the first opening verses says this, and the man brought me to the gate facing east. Remember, God's been gone. God headed off east, but now the people of God are coming back. And Ezekiel says, a man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the Lord of Israel coming from the east, and his voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory, and the vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kabar River, and I fell face down, and the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east, and the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Ezekiel works towards the end of his prophecy, and he says, and then, and then God came back, because wherever you were, God was always with you. I share all of these other passages about temples and presence and all that kind of stuff, because when you're looking at the story of Exodus, we have this beautiful opportunity. We have the opportunity to kind of jump ahead in the future and see what this tabernacle, what is this tabernacle that takes up the last part of Exodus? What is this boring details about the table of showbread and and the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense and the lampstand with all of its unique little bowls and candlesticks and all? What What is, what are all, the laver and the, you know, the, the, the altar, the bronze altar, like why, why all the details? Why the pomegranates and the, uh, because this is, I mean, I could tell you about all the details of that 39 foot camper trailer that I lived in with my wife. It, it was the thing, it was the thing of stories. <laughs> we had the, we had the unique, um, uh, two in one washer dryer stacked on top of each other combo that fit in the small little closet. Uh, I'm a large person. I'm six foot four. I'm about weighing in at about two and a half bucks. Uh, I remember trying to turn around in the shower. Oh man, I'll tell you that that RV had some stories, didn't it? Uh, I could tell you about all the little details. The the knob. Uh, There's four knobs on the on the little uh, stove, the oven, and the the one on the far left didn't work. Why does God go to all the details in the tabernacle? Why does God, because God loves stories. And and why is that important here? Because I don't know what story he's been telling with us right now. I don't know what story lies on the other side of this pandemic. What I do know is that whatever it is that we're going through, and some of us, like myself, have been very privileged and we've been very comfortable and we've we've had it very good during this pandemic. We've had the flexibility and the resources we need to live the life we'd want to to live and and I know that many people haven't. They've been essential workers, or they've, you know, been a part of our, our, you know, those black or brown people of color, indigenous people. The pandemics hit them in much different ways um, because of so many things that we need to continue to grapple with. Like some people have had different stories than others, but 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 their stories nonetheless. And and we're still figuring out how they're going to end. But the one thing I can tell you is that God loves. God loves a tent. God loves a tabernacle. And even if you've worked hard to put your God in a temple, God knows just how to mount up on the wings of living creatures that are wheels within wheels with all kinds of hands and eyes coming out of everywhere. And God will mount upon the cherubim and follow you into any pandemic. He'll go with us into any story and any adventure. And when he brings us back to whatever the next chapter is, he'll be with us there too, because that's simply the kind of lover, the kind of spouse, the kind of God that God is. So my prayer is that for this, you know, dispatch from the Exodus, we could be encouraged. We could be reminded that our God, 
is a God who goes with us. His presence will go with us, he tells us in Exodus. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And while many of us probably still uh, are in a place where we would we would cry out for some of that rest, maybe some of us would say, we've had enough rest, we're ready to move on. God would say, well, I, I can tell you one thing is that I'm here with you and this is going to make for a great story. May it be true. CCF, uh, may God go with you. May the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be yours. Amen.